Good morning, everyone. Good to see you in church this cold Sunday, fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, Everybody good back there? All right. Um, Almost included in a prayer that the Lord's will be done for the World Cup game that is happening right now as we speak. Um, you know, the people who stayed home to watch it, they're jinxing it, right? I mean, God sees that. and they, No. <laughs> I actually don't think it works that way. But um, this is what we're going to do. We're going to worship the Lord together. Uh, Clint taught me a trick. He said in his class, he puts the game on behind him. And he says, hey, if you guys are good, we're just going to leave it on there silently. So we're going to try that during the sermon. Now, we're not actually going to do that. But... As soon as the service is over, unless we do do that, I don't know. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, But as soon as the service is over, we will turn on the game. And so um, if you need to watch the whole thing, you just need to leave really fast because we're uh, going to put it on right where it starts. Um, So we just pray that the Lord's will be done, whether it's Argentina or France, whether it's the Saints or the Falcons today, all right? It's a big day. We know that. Um, But it's even bigger because God is with us, right? All right. Have you ever had this feeling that if only so-and-so is with me, everything's going to be all right? Like suddenly someone was on your team or on your side and you just felt like, okay, we got this. We're going to win now, right? Maybe you felt this way in in business. Maybe you were in a business venture and suddenly a big-time investor came on board or maybe a really key employee came on and you were like, man, this is going to be great, you know? Thinking about the World Cup today, right? Argentina has Messi, right? Uh, you got to wonder, I mean, it's probably have a good team without him, but kind of a big deal, right? Um, I know some of my kids feel like they just can't do anything unless their mom is right there in the room, right? It's like can't even pick up their room, but if mom's in the room, they have all the power they need to like to start picking up. And I get that because I kind of feel that same way too, if I'm honest. Like I don't really want to do the dishes or really do anything. But if somebody's there with me, I can, I can we dig a ditch from here to Savannah, you know. If I've got the right people in the room with me, um, I know I always felt that way. I don't know about you guys when you were sick growing up. You just need your mom. Like you just got to have your mom right there. And I still kind of feel that way. Um, probably most of us men feel that way even if we don't admit that in microphones in public settings. Um, <laughs> You know, we just, you know, switched the name of our church from Trinity to Incarnation. And, of course, that brings up questions around the table with our kids. Like, well, what is the Incarnation, right? Like, what does that mean? And these kind of names like Trinity and Incarnation, they're really not the easiest things to explain even to adults, right? Much less to kids. It turns out that after Jesus came Uh, Christian theologians and pastors spent the next five centuries trying to figure out exactly what that meant, right? And we had four or five church councils to kind of deal what the incarnation is and what does it mean and what are the right ways to talk about it and what aren't the right ways to talk about it, right? We took a long time as as a church family to figure out what it might mean. And one of the earliest theological reflections on what the incarnation might mean is found in our gospel reading today in Matthew 1. And in Matthew 1:23, as our deacon read for us, recalling the prophecy of Isaiah. What does this mean? What does this mean that Mary is with, with child and, and her child is born of the Holy Spirit? 
And so Matthew then recalls a meaning looking back to the Hebrew scriptures. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Whatever the incarnation means, it must have something to do with God being with us. Today, we ponder the mystery of the incarnation, that God saves us not only by being for us, but by being with us. I want to talk to you a few reflections on what this might mean that God is with us. And sometimes it's helpful to say what it doesn't mean because it's easy for us to assume some things about what God with us might mean. The first thing I want to say, just to clear the air, is that God with us does not sanction ungodly activity or unholy alliances. Some people want to imagine that because God's on their side, it gives them a license to do whatever they want. Exhibit A, America. (laughs) European Americans had this notion of manifest destiny, right? Somehow God has given these white European Americans this all this land, right? It's their land. And so it's okay to lie and cheat and kill Native Americans. Why? Because God is with us. And friends, of course, you know this is a myth, but it needs to be said in church this morning. And as we think about the way that God actually was with us in the person of Jesus, we think about the vulnerability of his life from infancy all the way to the cross. When God was with us, he displayed great gentleness and generosity. He did not live as an entitled person, but as a servant. And so we must remember that God with us does not give us permission to live in any other way other than the way in which Christ lived among us. Secondly, God with us does not mean that life is going to be less complicated. Now, Joseph is a good guy. And he's engaged to a good girl, but he's in a predicament. He's distraught. Suddenly, the girl that he really wanted to marry is pregnant by somebody that's not him, right? And he knows this. He's not dumb. And so, but he's going to do a good thing. He's going to kind of be quiet about it. He could make a big stink about it. He could make sure that there's some legal action going on here. But he's going to quietly dismiss her, right? It's the best he can do in a really difficult situation. And so what happens? The angel appears to him and says, hey, don't be afraid. She's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, go with this, right? Stay with her, be with her. Now, in some sense, it's a comforting word, right? Like, she didn't cheat on me, right? It's like kind of like, it's good in that sense. But he, this, this word from the angel, it doesn't save him from the humiliation, right? Right? Of all the town knowing that she got pregnant and that it's not his, 
And of course, they're going to think what they think. You can't just tell the whole world, hey, oh no, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Trust us, right? Like that kind of concept isn't really alive and, and working, right? It would have been great, right? I'm sure what Joseph would have liked, like, Angel, can you go tell that, like, kind of like everyone? Like, can you go tell that to the folks in the temple? And can you go tell that, like, everyone in Nazareth, right? It really doesn't help Joseph that the angel just appears to Joseph. And so, of course, this is a word. It is good news. This is literally the good news proclaimed to Joseph. So we rejoice in it with him, and he rejoices. But I'm just naming for you that this gospel does not save Joseph from humiliation. And he still has to do the work of raising a child that is not his own. And then on top of that, he has the pressure of raising and caring for a child that is the Messiah. Friends, that's not a job that I would like to have. What a difficult task. God with us did not make life easier for Joseph. It only made things more complicated. And friends, I want you to know that God is with you. Yes, he is with you. But his presence does not promise that your life is going to get any easier or less complicated had you not known the good news. The third thing it doesn't mean, which kind of piggybacks on what we've already said, is it doesn't mean that we are in some sense invincible or in any way even less vulnerable because God is with us. I don't know about you, but I would love it if God with us meant that I was going to be winning all the time, right? Suddenly I was going to be the world's best uh, parent, the most successful business person, wouldn't have to worry about things like pain or death or humiliation, right? Wouldn't that be great if suddenly we were just kind of untouchable because God is with us. One of the most beloved theologians of the last century, the German Jesuit theologian Karl Rahner, reflected on this in a prayer. Traditional theology is often written in the form of prayer. And this is what he prays. You promised that you would come and actually made good your promise. But how, O oh Lord, did you come? You did it by taking a human life as your own. You became like us in everything, born of a woman. You suffered under Pontius Pilate, were crucified, died, and were buried. And thus you took up again the very thing we wanted to discard. You began what we thought would end with your coming, our poor humankind of life, which is sheer frailty, finiteness, and death. Contrary to all our hopes, you seized upon precisely this kind of human life and you made it your own. Instead of freeing us from the pain and from the inevitability of death, God enters into our life to share in our pain and in our vulnerability and even in our death. So it doesn't mean that we get to be invincible or any way less vulnerable. 
But I want to talk to you about a few things that it does mean. Well, it means that in the middle of our mess, and even in our greatest adversity, we don't have to fear because God is with us. Just as the angel announces to Joseph, do not fear. You don't have to fear because God is with you. And so your failure does not mean that God is not on your side. And your pain doesn't mean that God is absent. God is actually with you in the midst of your pain. He came to be with us to fill those spots and to enter into every spot of pain. And friends, I want you to know this morning that he knows your struggle. In the person of Jesus, he has actually come to struggle with you. And we have people in our church that are facing all kinds of struggles, whether marital or medical or legal or financial or familial. Your struggle is real, but you're not alone. God is with you. Second thing I want you to know is that God with us means that God has entered the messiness of the human family to redeem the human family. Now, we're in Matthew 1 today, but if we had backed up to the very beginning, do you remember how Matthew 1 begins? It begins with a really great genealogy. It names all these names. Now, I encourage you, when you get to one of those, some of you are tempted, like, oh, this is like, we just kind of move right past this. But I invite you to look a little closer. Matthew's genealogy starts off sounding really impressive. So it begins this way, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the son of Abraham, right? Sounds really cool. And then it ends pretty impressive as well. It ends, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Great beginning and a great ending. But if you got your Bible open and you glanced over all the names in between, of course, we're going to find some names in there like Jacob and Rahab and Ruth and Tamar and the wife of Uriah. And these names remind us, if we recall these stories, some of us will, that Israel's Messiah is descended from a family that is full of dysfunction, just as dysfunctional of any of our families might be, right? In fact, the Jewish Messiah is descended from Gentiles and from liars and adulterers, and prostitutes, and murderers, and a widow who dressed up like a prostitute to get pregnant by her really lousy father-in-law. And that's all in there. It's all in the story. It's a messy story. God with us. God with us means that God has entered the mess that is our family history. The good and the bad and the ugly, God has entered our story. God isn't too good or too big or too important to be associated with people like us. He has literally written himself into the novel that he was creating that is our life. He entered the dysfunction that is the human family. 
And I hope some of us can find this comforting as maybe this week some of us are going to be traveling or going to be spending time with family. And our families, I'm sure, like, like yours and mine, they're great and they're full of wonderful people, but they're also broken and it's complicated, right? Some things are good, some things are bad. Maybe some things are just awkward. And we serve a God that is willing to jump into this very awkward human family and totally own the story, totally make it his story, and, and in so by doing so, redeeming all of our stories. The third thing, what it might mean for us is that God with us means that God refuses to abandon us. One of my favorites, theologian Stanley Harawas, was remarking that the virgin birds should not surprise us at all, right? God creates everything out of nothing. So the God who does that, it shouldn't be a surprise that he can make a virgin birth happen, right? That shouldn't, it's like, oh yeah, okay, if, if God exists, he can probably do that, right? But he says, what actually should startle us, what should even stun us is not that Mary is a virgin, but that God refuses to abandon us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. Jesus is God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. God with us is proof that God does not give up on our stories and that he has in fact come to redeem them. As the angel tells Joseph, you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, I want you to know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've turned your back on God. It doesn't matter how you failed to love others. God, in his love for you, is relentless. He came to live as one of us and to give his ransom for us his life as a ransom for us. God was with us in every way, as we have said. He entered our life through the birth canal of a woman. He lived in poverty. He suffered, was crucified. He died our death and was buried. He came to live and die so that we would not be abandoned on the way to death. God is with you. And he refuses to give up on you. Fourth and final reflection is this. God with us means not only that Jesus came for us. And not only that Jesus will come again. But that Jesus is always coming to us. It's not that he came. It's that he keeps coming, right? How does Matthew's gospel begin? They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then it ends with Christ saying, and remember, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Today we prayed in that beautiful collect, purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation that your son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. It's the daily visitation 
Jesus is still entering our unfolding story. He's still present in our pain and in our messiness. He's present with the least of these, the poor and the persecuted and the lonely. He's present in the church. He says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. And as the church, you become the very presence of Christ to each other. You become the very presence of Christ to the world. And then he is present in the Eucharist. He says, this is my body. And he promises to meet us here at the table. And so may you find Emmanuel in the cup this morning. And may you notice God with us in your most casual conversations as you walk out the door And may you discover that God has already entered all the painful and humiliating places of your life and has already made himself present even in your death. And as you gaze on the baby in the manger this Saturday night, fully God and fully human in all of his vulnerability and helplessness, May you contemplate the mystery of the incarnation, the God who has revealed himself as with us. God is with us. Amen. I want to invite you into a moment of silence as we reflect on the God that is with us.